For AZPM, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, meet the star and the director of Arizona Theatre Company's new production called Intimate Apparel. It's about what lies beneath the story of an African-American seamstress at the beginning of the 20th century. Tony Paniagua interviews naturalist Jim Coweek about his new book, Sonoran Desert Plant Identification for Everyone. And artist Kristen Harvey describes her approach to painting vibrant, abstract, impressionist views, like those included in her new gallery show, Sonoran Joy. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Playwright and screenwriter Lynn Nottage is currently the only woman to have won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama twice. Her play Intimate Apparel makes its debut this weekend with the Arizona Theatre Company at the Temple of Music and Art. Joining me now is the play's lead performer, Tracy N. Bonner, and with us by telephone is the director, Oz Scott. Scott has been directing and producing across film, television, and on the stage since 1981. His IMDb page lists his first credit as co-director on Bustin' Loose, a movie starring Richard Pryor and Cicely Tyson. Then he went through multiple episodes of classic TV shows, including Archie Bunker's plays, Alice, Fame, Hotel, and 40 episodes of The Jeffersons. More recently, his work has been seen on Law & Order, NCIS, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Black Lightning. I started by asking Tracy and Oz to describe the story of Intimate Apparel. It's about a woman who is extremely gifted, but has struggled with her confidence, her self-confidence. She has not gotten to that point in her life yet. Oz, you go. (laughs) I mean, the play, I guess, loosely based, on Lynn Nottage's great-grandmother, mm-hmm. who was a seamstress. And it studies the journey of a woman going from, as Tracy said, finding her confidence, finding herself, finding her power, where it's a woman having to take responsibility for herself and stop letting everybody else push her here and push her there, where she finally has to get to find her voice and say, everybody, stop this is who I am. Is that a theme that often attracts you as a director, Oz? That's a basic story. It definitely attracted me. Someone in search of themselves, as Tracy, I've even said to Tracy during this, it reminds me of my mother. It reminds me of the women of that time. It reminds me of women of this time who are trying to please other people and not trying to please themselves. I was around Esther's age when I discovered my voice. I think a lot of times, you know, even in this industry, you want to do things by the book. You don't want to rock the boat. Um, And so you kind of not dumb yourself down, but you just don't give all of who you are because you don't want to um, ruffle any feathers. And it wasn't until I was around 33 that I just was like, you know what? 
This is who I am. Accept who I am. I accept who I am. I'm proud of who I am. And so in that way, I can identify with who Esther is. And I've told Oz several times that, you know, I see a lot of myself in her. Um, I had some timidity. You know, I was fearful. Now I'm fearless. Except for right before I get on stage, those nerves start to kick in. But um, just really that self-actualization is just something that I did not have before then. But life, you know, your life experiences will get you to that point of saying, I am me. I am enough. You know, I tell my students that all the time. You are enough. You don't have to put something else on or be this other being um, to be accepted. And so that is who Esther is. Arizona Theater Company held a live event in January and Oz participated. Mm -hmm. And a, a little tea was spilled at that event when it was revealed that you were his first and really only choice for the role. So mm -hmm. what do you remember about picking up the phone perhaps or seeing the email from Oz that lets you know that he wanted you for this? I got this phone call thinking we were about to chat like we always do. And he was like, hey, I I'm directing this play intimate apparel have you heard of it I was like oh my god I love this play and he said I'm looking for a woman who's never done the play before and I said I've never done the play before I said you want me to put an audition on tape and he was like yeah put put it on tape you know and like in an hour after I got the sides I sent back the audition that's how much I wanted to do the show and then he calls me back he's like ah you got it <laughs> you know um and getting that call from Oz meant a lot to me because I told him I wasn't going to do theater anymore you know I, I wasn't feeling the American theater stage and he just was like come with me I got your back whatever you need I'm going to be there every step of the way and it has been true this entire process. So thank you, Oz. I can't say that enough. Well, you're welcome, but thank you for being on this. The one thing I want to say about Tracy is in rehearsals, she gives 110% all the time. And at the end of the day, you can just see how bent she is. It's just a sign of a great professional. I mean, I, I remember watching Tiger Woods walk off the course after 18 holes and you could see that concentration that he he just wouldn't stop and Trace is very much like that she has that concentration and I got up on stage to show the actor something I was I tried to do something opposite Tracy and I just felt all this energy and I said whoa okay all right slow down a little bit let me let me go back to the director's chair <laughs> wow as someone who has directed as much studio work and television work as you have, Oz, I'd just like you to share a couple of reflections on the difference in the importance of stage and why it was important for you to make sure that Tracy came back ASAP to be with you on this journey. The problem with television with actors, we get 10 minutes to rehearse a scene, maybe 15, maybe 20 if it's really complicated. And we do scene by scene by scene and we don't and a lot of times it's out of order and what i love about the theater what i love is the live experience i love the rehearsal process where we can really go in and and and, and explore i mean 
I tell my assistant directors when I'm when I'm doing television, when when the camera's ready, tap me on the shoulder because I will be with the actors and I will be I will I won't stop exploring until I have to yell action. And what I love about the theater is I get those three weeks, three and a half weeks, four weeks to really just talk about the characters. I mean, we take these characters in so many places. I know the actors sometimes, especially with me, like, what do you want? What do you want? I said, let's try it all. Let's see where it goes. I mean, I love laughing where you're supposed to cry. I love crying where you're supposed to laugh because it gives you so much words for me a lot of times are used to lie about who we are and what acting is and what we do as people is find those clues in their actions and what they do that makes us say oh she says she doesn't love him but boy everything she's doing is pointing in that direction and that's the fun of theater Tracy, I understand this is your first time with ATC, mm-hmm. but Oz has been here before. So what's it like when you come into a company and you, you're like, you have to be an instant family? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your reflections on the process of becoming an instant family, in this case, with Arizona Theater Company? Well, when I got here, it already felt like I'd been here before um, because I did know Oz. Anytime you're doing regional theater and you have to leave and leave your the comfort of your home can be difficult for anybody but you have to build that trust very quickly otherwise it will show on stage Um, the chemistry you have to be able to uh, give freely of yourself not put up a wall take some of those boundaries down because if not you're not going to be honest on stage Oz and I met on set of Black Lightning and the most we talked was about 10 minutes on set and then 30 minutes in lunch. And that's when we discovered, oh, we have theater in common, Chicago theater in common in particular. Yeah. Um, I saw <clears throat> him direct uh, Ballad of Emmett Till at the Goodman Theater. And then here we are five years later working together on stage. I think what's great about working with Oz is he is a true collaborator. He gives you the opportunity to bring whatever isms you have to your character, to the scene. He allows you to you to ask questions and say, hey, I would like to move here. Or, hey, I was thinking this character, my character would do this. And hey, can I try? And he's like, yeah, let's see it. That is the kind of environment you want to work in. That is what true collaboration is in theater. Um, I've worked with directors who tell you where to go, when to stop, when to do a gesture and that just as an as an artist it just is um stifling it stifles your artistry and oz is not like that so oz i'll work anywhere you are any day because you give me and all of my fellow castmates the opportunity to bring themselves to the role i would like to say a a story i was at an event with carol o'connor and I was directing him when he was playing Archie Bunker. And somebody asked, what do you like about Oz? And Carol said, with a lot of directors, you say you want to try something, and they say no. Oz says, okay, let's try it. Let's try it. And then he tells me no. (laughs) 
Joining me in studio was actor Tracy N. Bonner, and on the phone from New York was director Oz Scott. Arizona Theatre Company's new production, Intimate Apparel, opens this week and runs through February 10th before heading to Phoenix. There's a link for ticket information on the Spotlight page at azpm.org. Many things about the Sonoran Desert are so unique that they go beyond imagination. How about a plant that mimics a mouse's ear to draw in flies for pollination? Or another plant with white flowers, colored and built to reflect the moonlight, which attempts to catch the attention of a single species of moth with the ability to pollinate it? Many of these scenarios could not be dreamt up, but they can be shared. That's the laid-back sound of naturalist and author Jim Coweek, reading a brief portion of the intro to his latest book, Sonoran Desert Plant Identification for Everyone. It features hundreds of full-color photographs by Dale Armstrong. Together, their goal was to make a book that anyone from novice to expert could benefit from, and we'll hear more about it next as Jim Coweek is interviewed by Tony Paniagua. You came to the University of Arizona in 1978, earned a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Speech Communication, but you really have not been practicing that along the way. <laughs> well, I've been talking enough, I've, I've been told, but uh, no, it was, uh, that was the quickest way out. You know, I had some credits and, and could get out, and I knew I was going to go to work, and so um, that was the quickest way to, to get out and had a good time here. And what is it about nature that uh, inspires you so much? Because this is not your first book about our native plants. I, I think that's pretty simple. I, I just like being outside. And if you're outside, you like to observe. And, um, and, I, and I like to know what I'm looking at. Some people are just happy looking at pretty plants and pretty hills. And, and I like to know what I'm looking at. I can't turn that switch off. When did you decide that the Sonoran Desert Plant ID for Everyone was a good idea? I know that a lot of books have been written about the plants in our region. Uh, my buddy Dale, who did all the photography and did the wonderful job on that, also did the photography on the first book, which we can talk about later if you want. But, um, and then he left the area. And then he said he was up in Colorado, and it was pretty cold up there, so he was coming back. And he said, hey, we had so much fun, let's do another one. And I thought, yeah, let's do something on, uh, I don't know, winter beach flora or something exotic, you know. And we decided that uh, overall, something that people might actually use, like the Sonoran Desert Plant Book, is what we wanted to do. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the book is the way it is categorized. For example, red plants have a little red tag or tab, and then same thing with blue, yellow, and so on. What inspired you to do that? I've seen bird books done that way. Right. We want it to be as easy to use as possible. We wanted somebody to, to be able to use it with absolutely no botanical knowledge whatsoever. That was the reason. Your goal is to make this fun and interesting, not overly scientific. You wrote about that in your book. Can you read that for us, please? Right. It says right here, this book is meant to be enjoyed not endured. Learning about plants should be fun. I think the more somebody is entertained, the better they're going to learn. That's, I don't have a great attention span for technical detail. I wrote this book kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, for myself, you know, and people like me who like to be entertained while they're learning. All right, so let's talk about the one that imitates a mouse's ear. What plant is that? And that's called Dutchman's Pipe or 
correctly. It's called Watsman Dutchman's Pipe. And this is a plant that grows along the ground. You would probably not notice it unless you were looking for it. It's got kind of brown, reddish leaves. And it, to a fly, smells like rotting meat. And it's kind of a cool story because it attracts the fly and the fly crawls inside the cavity of the flower and it spends the night there. It's not trying, the plant doesn't try to digest it. It spends the night, it rolls around, it gets pollen on it. It's off duty and gets out the next morning and goes on to another Watson Dutchman pipe and pollinates it. So does the fly spend the night because it's gotten dark and it doesn't want to fly at night or any idea what that might be? I think it's trapped. Probably it's a drunk and can't find its way out. (laughs) 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 The other plant that you mentioned is the white colored flower that reflects moonlight. Probably one of the most fascinating stories of any plant pollination, uh, and there's, there's, a, there's morals behind this one. Um, we could learn from it possibly. That's a yucca moth, and every species of yucca has a single species of moth that pollinates it. And when the moth comes in and pollinates the plant, it lays its eggs, the larvae develop, and the larvae develop inside the seed pod where they eat some of the seed but not all of it before they hatch. And so it's kind of a mutually beneficial relationship. Jim, this is not your first book. You wrote another one about grasslands and even that title is somewhat (laughs) interesting. Can you tell us what that is, please? Yeah, I learned a lot from that one. That was called Grassland Plant ID for Everyone except folks that take technical, boring stuff too seriously. And I learned that that's way too long a title to remember it, and every time you have to sign something about a book, you have to say it. But that was that's oriented on uh, kind of an underserved plant book population, which is the grasslands of southern Arizona. And you live in a region where grasslands are close to you. What do you want to say about that biome that very few people think about when they think about the Arizona deserts? Yeah, when people think of Arizona desert, they think of usually think of um, saguaros and Monument Valley geology. And um, the grasslands are different. Grasslands are a really unique place. The grasslands are a mixing zone where some of the some of the lower plants make it up and some of the higher elevations make it down. The main thing that I'm learning, because I, I live there, is there's a lot of desertification starting in the grasslands and we're starting to see lower desert plants and animals come up into the 5,000 foot region that weren't there 20, 30 years ago. Everything's unique, especially the Sonoran Desert it has so many unique adaptations. Just look at the components of what makes a system work what makes the desert unique, what makes the grasslands unique, and then follow what interests you. If it's the plants, great. If it's the geology, great. If it's the animals, great. They're all interconnected. Thank you very much, Jim Kowick. He is the author of Sonoran Desert Plant ID for Everyone and Grassland Plant ID for Everyone, except folks that take boring stuff too seriously. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. It's it's been a pleasure. Artist Kristen Harvey now paints for the sheer joy of it. 
She had a career including digital design work for one of the world's leading video game companies and creating art for newspapers, magazines, and books. Her new solo show of paintings called Sonoran Joy opens this Sunday in the DeGrazia Gallery in the Sun's Little Gallery. And I asked Kristen to come by the studio to talk about her work. I paint semi-abstracts with a southwestern flair. That's the way that I describe it because most of my subject matter tends to be southwestern. Focused on the color aspect, I consider myself a colorist, but I paint intuitively. So when I go to the canvas, I have no idea what's going to be coming out, but I know what my favorite elements are and what drew me to the southwest, and those are what I do see in my work. So it's the best described as semi-abstract. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Fresno, California, and um, I studied art there in school and in private lessons and through the arts organizations found in Fresno, which there are plenty of. Well, when was the first time you actually got to paint the Sonoran Desert? When I actually moved here about 10 years ago. Well, I've been lucky to see a few of your paintings on a screen, Mm -hmm. and what I see in the color aspect is that the color is not bounded by shapes. Even though you're drawing recognizable plants and animals, you're not so concerned with getting the profile, the silhouette Mm -hmm. of those species in order. It's more important for you to have the color, and then you do colored lines that show the movement of those objects in space, which I think is just beautiful. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, that translucent or transparent look is something that I've developed over the course of the years. It actually came about from my interest in swaros, the fact that when I learned that it takes up to 75 years for them to grow an arm the first time, I felt that such permanence there, but there's so much going on in the desert floor that we don't see. And so I kind of wanted to start giving that feeling of permanence that they are there, but there's so many other things going on around it. And that's where the looseness outside my shapes come into play. So because I paint abstractly first, every painting starts with a very solid abstract painting foundation. Kristen, do you have a certain color that you think disappears from your palette faster than others? (laughs) Yes, most definitely. It's actually two colors. It's the complementary combination of an orange and a teal. They work best together when you blend them together first and then take a little bit of that blended color and dab it into the teal and the pure orange, and that creates a harmony between the colors that wouldn't necessarily be there otherwise, even though the complements do work good together on their own. But yes, you will definitely find teal and orange in the majority of my paintings. And teal, just because it's my favorite color, you can see it's in my hair, it's in my clothing. But that's what I feel represents the desert the best as well for the hot sun with the oranges and the cool nights with the teals. So I mentioned that I got to look at a few of your paintings on a screen, but what uh, format do they take in the gallery? I actually tend to work very large. Uh, 30 by 30 is actually my smallest piece that I will work at because my painting process is a full body experience. I tend to get into that, and if I have to reach from one corner to another and stretch and move around, that's what makes me the happiest in my process. Uh, The largest my studio will accommodate at this time is a 48 by 60. But I have intentions when I do get a larger room to paint in to go much larger. I feel it creates what I like to 
create within my works is a way for the viewer to walk in or go or feel that they're moving into this space. And the larger I can work, the more that can be accomplished. So one more question. Coming up on Sunday, there's going to be a reception and the grand opening for your show. Um, How do you feel about that? Because painting can be a somewhat um, solitary enterprise. Mm -hmm. So to have people looking at your work and being able to talk to you about it, what does that make you feel? It makes me feel pure joy. Um, My painting process brings me a lot of joy, and you'll hear me use that word often when I'm describing my work and the title of my show, Sonoran Joy. Because for me, the painting process does bring me a lot of joy. When I'm in my studio doing my thing, I'm the happiest I can be. But it is solitary. And to get it out into the world, I tend to see that the response to my work is joy as well. So that excites me, and I appreciate the feedback. Um, I don't do a lot of commission work, so I don't take a lot of direction from people. So I don't look at the feedback in those terms. I look at the feedback that I'm getting emotionally. How is this person responding? Uh, What memories might it evoke? Where might it take them on a little journey? So that's um, how I see my work and the showing of it. Sonoran Joy, Two-Dimensional Flora and Fauna of the Sonoran Desert, Paintings by Kristen Harvey, is at the DeGrazia Gallery in the Sun, Little Gallery, from January 28th through February 9th. It's launching with a reception with the artist this Sunday from noon to 3 p.m. You can find a link for information on the Spotlight page at azpm.org. And now we'll close this show with something from Tucson-based author and poet Linda D. Addison, the recipient of multiple Bram Stoker Awards. It's a short piece about the dangers of driving with no destination in sight. Ghost driving. There has been no rain for 300 days. It is not good. The evil eyes follow me on this endless highway. Leafless trees cast no shadow on the asphalt. I have lost faith. Evil waltzes in raising heat waves on the horizon. The gas tank has been empty for 200 days, but still I drive on. Shadows whimper from the edge of the endless road. Where am I rushing to? Heaven or hell? Random words hang dim and blinking on billboards in the distance. Even in the dark, With hands tight on the steering wheel, I feel nothing but screams waiting in my clenched fist. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show is a production of AZPM. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.